We're in this message series, the ABCs of financial freedom. This is a place of no embarrassment. So, would you raise your hand if you have ever in your life made a dumb financial decision? Go ahead, raise your hand. We all have. I know you have. It's okay. As it is, there's nothing to be shamed about by that. All of us have made mistakes. We've all done dumb things. Everybody listening to this podcast can go, oh yeah, that's me. I'll tell you, I've, I've made my share of dumb financial decisions. You ever heard of a little thing called Columbia House Records? <laughs> if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, 2000s, you know what I'm talking about. When I was a kid, Columbia's House Records, for those of, you who are, those of you who are younger, it was like the Spotify of the late 1900s, early 2000s. The only way to find music was to hear it on the radio and then hope Walmart sold the cassette tape or the 8-track. So then Columbia House Records would put in these ads in all the magazines and it would have this incredible, almost too good to be true offer. Like 11 tapes or cassettes or records or reel-to-reel, whatever, free or for a penny or for a dollar. And I, I remember I would look at those as a kid and i go, this can't be right. What's the catch? 13 tapes for a dollar. There's got to be something. And I would always go, no. And my mom was like, no, don't you dare. But then finally I got sucked in. And the one that sucked me in was the one that said like 11 tapes for a penny and the 12th one free. You can't say no to an offer like that. So I went ahead and I, I ordered all the tapes and everything like that. I got some Chicago, got a bunch of stuff. All the tapes came. It was great. And it had the little fine print that said something about, yeah, you just got to buy a few more albums over the next couple of years at regular clubhouse prices. And I'm like, I'm sure that they have fair clubhouse prices. This is a good offer. So I'm listening to my music. One of the things that was included in the fine print was every month they're going to offer you a selection of the month and they're going to send it to you unless you send back a little postcard that says, I don't want it. Which worked for the first couple of months, but how many junior high boys do you know who keep postcard stamps around and who are responsible enough to mail something in every month. Inevitably, what happened was a box came to my house, and my mom said, you got this thing, what is it? I'm like, I didn't order anything. And I open it up, and I'm like, what the heck? I didn't, boy George, I didn't order Culture Club, Karma Chameleon, that's not mine. And then what I realized was I hadn't sent back the card saying, I don't want the selection of the month. And then I got the bill. Regular clubhouse prices. $20 for a tape I don't even want. I could have bought it for $12 at Walmart. And that's when I started to realize how Columbia House Records made their money giving away tapes. Uh, NPR Music, Stephen uh, Thompson said this, for generations of people, Columbia House was a huge rite of passage. Your first foray into maybe wrecking your credit rating or at least running afoul of authority beyond your hometown, which is true. Again, full disclosure, that's how I learned about nasty credit letters and threatening letters. You better pay for that tape that we sent you. I'm not even old enough to drive or to vote or fight for my country, and I'm getting all these threatening things. Okay, this is where I started to figure out some financial choices that you make are not always wise. They may not seem very painful in the moment, but over time, they really come back to hit you and to haunt you. And You think about this in terms of your own financial choices, good and bad. They don't hurt the bad ones when you make them, do they? Not always. If they hurt right when you made a bad financial choice, you wouldn't keep doing it. It's like, I'm not going to do that again. It hurts later down the road when you realize how much it's cost you to carry that on your credit card month to month to month. I paid how much interest last year? Or when you realize I haven't been saving for a while and now I'm really getting scared that I don't have enough in savings. It doesn't hurt in the moment. It's only later that it does. And then you start to think, wish I could go back and do some things differently because my finances are killing me. And that's just been my observation between you and me. Maybe you've observed this too. 
finances can kill relationships. It can hurt marriages. Somebody even made a joke. He said they ought to change the wedding vow from death do us part to till debt do us part. That's what a lot of people fight about in my experience is the money or the lack of it or how are we going to spend it. And it even can hurt your ability to do the things you really want to do. It can impact your generosity. It can, believe it or not, it can impact your relationship with God. So, so many things that, that you want to get finances right in your world. And again, this is not an embarrassing, shaming kind of message. This is a, let's get on the solution side of let's Let's figure this out. Because one of the things that I do know from studying this for many, many years now is that God desperately wants his people to have freedom. And I would say he even wants us to have financial freedom. And you, the whole story of the Bible is God trying to give us the freedom back that we once should have had and we lost and he wants to bring it back to us. If you go back to our Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, back at the beginning of the story of the Bible, God created a perfect world, perfect place. Our first two parents, Adam and Eve, placed into this beautiful, we call it a garden. You ought to call it a national park. That thing was enormous. Somebody said it could have been the size of the Smokies where God put them in the Garden of Eden. So if you were to go back to Genesis in your Bible, and you can do this if you want, Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man, Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from that, you certainly will die. But what you see at the very beginning is God giving Adam and Eve very clear freedom. You got the run of the place. Knock yourselves out. Enjoy it. Take care of it. Make it flourish. Have kids. Just have a wonderful life. You're free to do whatever you want. Just don't eat from that tree. Why that tree? It wasn't magic. It wasn't some kind of superstitious thing. It was just God giving humanity a real choice. Freedom's not freedom if you can't choose to do the wrong thing. So you say, why did God create a world where people could screw it up so badly? This is the world we get when people have free will. And I'm so thankful that he gave us free will, even though we chose to do the wrong thing, because God, being so good, he said, now you guys have screwed up the world. You, you ate from the tree, you sinned, and you disobeyed me. And that's brought a whole bunch of bad things into the world that we still live with today. But God said, I'm going to fix this because I still want people to be free. That's why Jesus came here. That's the whole story of the Bible. Jesus, God, became a human being, lived a perfect life, complete freedom, and yet never used it to do anything wrong ever. Never disobeyed God, unlike Adam and Eve. In fact, you listen to something that Jesus taught. He said, one of the reasons I came here was to bring you back the freedom that you should have always had, that sin took away from you. Sin makes you a slave. And so Jesus taught his followers something very crucial. You've probably heard this before. This is in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus told the people who had faith in him, who believed in him, if you keep on obeying what I have said, Jesus, you know, unlike Adam and Eve and everybody else, if you keep believing and, and obeying what I've said, you're truly my disciples, you're truly my students, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because Jesus said, I've come here to give you freedom. It's so important to God. You go further into the Bible... Now, there are Christians in many cities across the world. The church has started. People are taking Jesus seriously all over the place. And you have the Apostle Paul writing to a church and a group of Christians in Galatians 5. He says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Because God wants us to be free. And he wants us to make choices that lead to more freedom, not to bondage and slavery. And yet I look around and I find that Even for people who follow Jesus, so many of us are burdened by financial bondage and slavery. We're not living free lives. Not the kind of life that God intended for us to live. Now here's what, again, I've experienced. 
unless you're just a really forthcoming person, most people don't go around saying, I am in financial slavery, I am so strapped, I don't even, most people don't admit that. But we say things that tip off the, the true nature of our financial condition. Like you might say, we would love to get married, but we just can't swing it right now. It just doesn't make financial sense to do it. What you're saying, whether you know it or not, is there's some things I would like to do, but I can't because of my finances, so I'm a slave to my financial condition. We'd love to get married. We'd love to have kids. We'd love to adopt. We'd love to maybe one of us stay home with the kids. The other one works, but we can't because our financial situation just doesn't allow it. You're in financial bondage and slavery. You might say, well, I, I hate my job. I can't stand it. Every day I go to work and I dread it. I would love to make a change, but I can't take the risk. I'd love to maybe launch out and do something different on my own, but my finances are just not in a place right now where I can do that. Again, what are you tipping off there? There's something you would like to do, but you can't. You're not free to do that because of the status of your, your checkbook. You may you would even say, like, I would love to be one of those generous people who gives to God. I come to church. I put money in the offering. Maybe I give to the, you know, the special projects that we're doing because I think those are great. Maybe you would even say, I would love to go on that mission trip or help somebody who is going on the trip to Haiti this summer, this fall. And I would love to, and my heart says I'd love to do that, but I just can't. And that's a hard place to be, isn't it? Where you know there's things you want to do, would like to do, maybe even should do, and you can't. And a lot of people live there. So I'm, again, I'm not pointing the finger in your face. I'm just pointing out the reality. Maybe you can relate to this woman who lived, oh gosh, I think like 2,500 years ago. Her story is in the Bible. This is in first, or 2 Kings 4. It said, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to the prophet Elisha, Your servant, my husband's dead, and you know he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. She's, you know, her husband, she's a young, young mom. Her husband died. He was one of the prophets with Elisha. And now she's laying awake at night worrying about how to pay the bills. Somebody's going to come literally take her two kids to pay off her credit card debt, her debt to whoever it was. The husband's not there to help figure it out. So she's turning to Elisha for help. And she gets the help, by the way. But my mind, I can't even go there as a dad of two girls, to think that somebody would take my kids to pay off my debt? Now, I don't know. Maybe last week, if you were stuck at home with your kids for a while, maybe you actually can let your mind go there. I would gladly trade my kids for... Now, you know what that is? To, to lay awake at night worrying about how you're going to pay the bills? To cringe when the phone rings and you get that shot of adrenaline and you don't want to answer it? When the, somebody knocks at the door, you wonder if you're going to go out and see if the car is still there the next day? You don't want to open the mail. You just, you know, it's just not the way that God wants you to live. And it doesn't have to be that way. Unfortunately, I think the signs are there that we're headed towards that long before we actually end up there. And we just ignore them. We go through all the, like the light's been on on the dashboard of the car for a long time. And we just haven't paid attention to it because we didn't think it was a big deal. If you've got a bullet in, in, in your hands or somewhere around you, there's a place to take notes. I just want to give you a few indicators that say you're either in financial slavery and bondage or you're headed that way. And the, one of the first things that I would point out just to look for would be deepening debt. Not just that you have debt, but that it's getting bigger and bigger as time goes on. Which I know many of you would go like, well, what's the big deal about that? I'm American. I have debt. That just goes hand in hand. And I get it. Like last year in 2016, the, the national household debt of the United States went up to $12 trillion. It's just the debt that you and I have, household debt. Look how many zeros that is. You and me, Americans, you say, well, that's not that big a deal, right? Because we have like 350 million Americans, divide that out. Household debt, where does that come from? It actually is a pretty big deal. Household debt, first of all, it literally comes from your house, right? Your mortgage. I think mortgages in the United States adds up to like 
$3 trillion. Then beyond that, we all drive cars. So there's another part of it. Uh, student loans. I, actually, I was floored by this. Student loans are actually higher in the United States than car loans. We owe like $1.1 trillion, that's trillion with a T, for car loans. We owe $1.3 million on student loans. Now, a lot of us know what that's like or it's coming. Um, obviously, there's also just credit card debt, which interestingly, it doesn't even reach the level of a trillion dollars yet. It's like eight, yeah, $7.5 billion. And so all of that adds together to that many zeros that we owe. Like anybody here, what's your part of that? Anybody's like, I've got half of that, that's <laughs> what it feels like. I'm only saying is we as Americans have been taught and we feel very comfortable with debt. And I need to go ahead and get this out of the way because you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? And I would say, well, in some cases, nothing. And I, I told it, I want you to, to realize that I'm not just anti-debt. I know a lot of you work in the finance industry. I'm not slamming you. I understand that there is a wise use of debt and that there's many ways that using debt smart in a wise fashion allows you to do some things that you couldn't otherwise to get yourself in a better place. That student loan debt gets you into a career that is satisfying, hopefully, and that makes enough money to pay that off. So that's a wise investment in your future because it's going to help you increase your life. A loan to buy a house that's going to go up in value is smart because it's an investment that's appreciating in value. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to take a car loan to get the job so you can get to the job, and then, you know, eventually you can maybe get to a place where you don't take a car loan out anymore because you pay cash for a car. I know it's crazy talk. Just stay with me. But I understand. There's, like, even as a church, we're going to take out a loan as we build our building because many vibrant, healthy churches leverage debt to do things for the future, and we'll pay it off as quick as we can. So I'm not anti-debt. I just think that maybe you ought to think about that it's a risky thing anytime you commit yourself to owing somebody else money. And if you find yourself going further and further in the hole every month, that is a problem, and that is a warning sign. In fact, the Bible, it, it never says that borrowing money is a sin. It's, you're not going to find it. It just points out how risky it is. For example, in Proverbs 22.7, it says the borrower is slave to the lender. You're on the hook when you owe somebody money. You're not truly free. You are obligated as long as you owe money. You know, and again, if you're borrowing money for something that goes up in value, that's a, a good risk to take. You, you may grow your business that way. Again, that's smart. But there is a risk because even though you bought a house with a loan, you don't really own that house when you buy it. You and the bank own it. And 15 years from now or 30 years from now, you'll own it. But right now, not so much. So just got to understand that. And then there's the issue of just buying something and you don't really have the money for it, but you want it, so you go ahead and buy it now. And then you let it ride on your credit card for months or years. And then you just look back and you go, that meal, was it really worth all the interest I've paid? I haven't even enjoyed that. It was so far back, I don't even know what I ate. But it's, it's hurting you. Uh, I love what Mary Hunt, she's a financial advisor, she says this, debt keeps you stuck in the trap of using your future to pay for your past. It's not a winning situation. Now, here's another indicator you may want to think about. If you find yourself making the minimum debt payment, that's a warning sign. If you find yourself skipping payments altogether, that's obviously a huge blinking warning light. It's a sign you're in real trouble. I'll even go a step further. If you find that you're using your credit card or your savings account to pay for regular monthly expenses, that's another issue that there's a problem that needs to be looked at. Now, I get it. Again, 
you're between jobs, that's why you had a savings account. Because you don't have any income coming in, that's your buffer to help you get through. But that's, over the course of time, it's not a great way to live. It's, I did a little, uh, a little research on this, and you don't have to raise your hand. I also was, when I was reading up about this, I found that in 2016, the average American home had about $16,000 in credit card debt. What that means is there are some people who pay their credit card balance off every month. If you take them out and everybody else is left, everybody's got $16,000 and, what was it, $61, right? I don't know how yours compares to that. You don't have to raise your hand or say, but you can kind of compare yourself to the average American there. And I did some figuring on that. If you paid just the minimum monthly payment on that, it would take you somewhere between 33 and 37 years to pay that off, $16,000. And you're going to end up paying another $26,000 in interest depending on what your interest rate is. That's a lot of money just to put something on the credit card because I want it now. There's a, some wise instruction in the Bible that I think we would do well to listen to. In Romans 13, 8, it says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing obligation to love one another. So if you find yourself in a place, and maybe necessarily so, where you are in debt, what the Bible is saying is do everything you can to get out of that situation as quickly as you can. Now, I want to, I, I want to take you to one more um, tip-off that maybe things are not great in your financial world, and that would be an absence of giving and savings. If you find yourself in a situation where you want to save for the future, but you don't have anything extra to put aside, if you find yourself in a situation where your heart says, I want to give generously to this, I want to do something here, but you don't have it to give, that's another warning sign that things are not well. In fact, here's a, uh, a verse from the Bible. It describes two different kinds of people. It says in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-one, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. So it's saying that there are some kinds of people who will borrow, they will take what's not theirs, and they will never pay back. They, they have no intention of it. They're, you know, they just, that's how they are. They never intended when they took something from somebody else. Now, the contrast is the person who not only doesn't do that, they give to people that they aren't even obligated to. They give generously. I don't owe you anything, but I want to do something for you. Such a contrast. Now, there are two extremes here, but which extreme would you rather tend toward? So this is a, just a few things to think about. Uh, Pastor Gene Apple out in California, he once said this and it really stuck with me. He says, many people can't give to people in need because they bought things that they didn't need. You want to be generous, but you, you just don't have it because at some point you made some choices for yourself. And again, I'm not judging you. I've been there. You've been there maybe. And, and I get it that you came here today because you're open to God. You're trying, so I am not slamming you. You're listening to this podcast because you're wanting in some way to make some changes. That's where I'm coming from. I want to help us see things as they really are so that we can see where we want to go. And uh, I know that my heart here is not that I want something from you. And I want you to hear that. This is not me trying to, to get anything from you. This is me because I'm concerned for you. I want you to be able to save for the future. I want you to be able to be generous. I want you to provide great things for your family. I want you to have that feeling of true financial freedom where if God puts something on your heart, you can just do it because you're in a place where you're able to do that. And I want you to realize that it's not inevitable that you struggle financially. 
I want to get practical here, and I want to point you towards some practical solutions because I've seen so many people with God's help go from a place where they were totally underwater to a place of actual freedom that God wants. And that's what happens when you get God involved. So let me just go ahead and get very practical here. I've just got a few things here that I'm going to share with you. Again, you can write them down in your notes if you want to. And when I say these are simple, they're not just like, you know, when your kids go, well, if you need more money, just go to the ATM and get some out. Okay, well, it doesn't quite work like that. These are things that you could actually do, and you could choose to do. They're within the realm of reasonable if you'll do it. Now, I'm not saying they're easy to do uh, in terms of, like, they're not going to be painful, but they're things you, they're actually achievable. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is to start thinking about making a decision to say, I am done with debt. Again, I get it that there are some judicious and wise uses of debt, and you might be thinking, but debt is so normal. It's a way of life. Everybody does this. But I want you just to imagine an alternate reality just for a second. Okay? Don't laugh at me. But can you imagine what it would be like to not have a credit card payment every month? What would that be like? Don't close your eyes. Just, just think about it. What would it be like if you didn't have a car payment? You had cars, but you did not have a car payment. Let's get crazy. What if you don't have a mortgage payment either? You don't owe an aunt or an uncle or any, you don't owe anybody anything. The money that you have coming in every month, it's all just going to your living expenses and, and whatever else you want to use it for. How would you sleep at night? How many anxieties would disappear from your life? What, what would that, do you think that God wants you to lay awake at night worrying about your finances or do you think God wants you to lay awake at night thinking about, oh man, I would love to do this and I'm, as soon as I get up tomorrow, I'm going to do it because I can. This is what God wants for you and maybe the first step for you is to say, I have been doing things with debt that have been digging a hole and it's not working for me. Maybe it works for somebody else, but for me, I'm going to have to say no to this. And I'm telling you, this could be your reality. I have watched so many people Go from completely upside down, underwater, to free financially because they made the decision, first of all, I'm done with debt. I'm not going to do that anymore because it seems to be a thing that gets me into trouble. And, and you don't have to win the lottery to do it. You don't have to hope that somebody in your family kicks the bucket. You don't have to rob a bank. This is actually achievable in the real world. And I'm telling you, people who have had lots of um, zeros behind their debt have gotten out of it because when you get God involved in this, it works. Here's the second thing I want to encourage you to do. Just start to think, could I make the decision not only to be done with that, but could I make a decision that I'm going to make a, a real financial plan? Now, I don't want to go too far into this because there are some great experts out there who can help you with this. But you need to put some practical steps behind this aspiration that you've got. If you've got the dream of being free, you need a plan to actually put it into reality. And there are some great resources you can get into one thing I would encourage you to do, maybe some of you want to go home and do a little plastic surgery today. Take this, uh, well, that's my driver's license, but I'll go ahead and hold it up. Take this thing and cut it up. Because you find yourself, you say, I'm not going to spend anything this month, I'm going to be good, and then you're in the store and you just, it's too easy. So cut the thing up, freeze it in a block of ice so you can't get to it, I don't know, to do something to help yourself make this decision that I'm done with debt and I'm going to actually put a plan in place that helps me get to the place of freedom that I want to be. Uh, a couple of great places I can point you to. This series is based on a book by Barry Cameron called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, there's another great resource. You've probably heard of a guy named Dave Ramsey. All kinds of stuff. Just really practical and helpful. He's got a thing called Financial Peace University. You can just Google it and um, 
just any of these things would help you with the real practical nuts and bolts of saying, I'm going to go from a place of financial slavery to a place of financial freedom. In fact, speaking of Dave Ramsey, he's got, if you're ready to, you're like, today is the day, I'm starting. Let me give you his first three steps that he tells everybody. This is free. You don't have to buy the book. You can just get them right here. Number one, he says, you need to start honoring God with your finances. 10% to God. That's his number one. We'll talk about that more next week, what that looks like, but that's what he says, number one. You need to get God involved in your world because that's probably what's been not what's been absent before. So get God involved. Number two, he says you need to do everything you can to get $1,000 in an emergency savings account. You go through the car and you pull out change. You find everywhere that you can save some money and you stick it in an envelope and you promise yourself, I will not touch this unless it's an emergency. And an emergency isn't like a sale. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the washing machine went out. But once you've got $1,000 in an envelope, it doesn't matter. You've got the buffer there in the envelope, and you don't have to, you know, the kids went to the yard. It's a $300 deductible. I don't have to put it on the card. I've now got in $1,000 sitting aside to say, if an emergency comes up, it's there. And then the third step, he says, he talks about this thing called a debt snowball. I'm not going to go too far into it. You can Google it again. It's just this, this idea where you take every debt that you owe, and you write them down smallest to largest on a piece of paper. And uh, you don't, don't worry about how much interest is on each one, just smallest to largest. Whatever you owe, write them down, and then you attack that first debt. It's $500. You do everything you can to pay that $500 off and make it disappear. Donate plasma, skip Starbucks. I don't know. Just, and everything you can, you keep paying the payments on the others, but the minimum payments on the others, you get that thing gone. And then you take the money once it's paid off, you celebrate. Because, and here's why you do it smallest to largest. If you were going to like try to lose 25 pounds and you gained 10 pounds the first week, would you still stick with that diet? You need some wins. So you take the smallest one and you knock it off the list first and you get that excitement. And then you move on to the next debt. And you take all the money you were putting towards the first debt and you roll it onto taking care of that and you work your way down. You see how it snowballs? That's Dave Ramsey's plan. You can read much more about it if you get a book. My whole point is just you need a plan because that's what makes things reality. The dreams and the visions that we have for our future become real when we put some goals and plans behind them. And I, I can give you a perfect example of somebody who actually did this. I've got a picture here of Kelvin and A.J. McClanahan. Six, I don't know, I think it's like nine years ago, this family just, they, they knew they were in debt, but they really never sat down and figured it out. And when they did, they discovered that they were like $120,000 in debt, not including their mortgage. Just student loan debt, credit card debt, we owe mom and dad for this. And they added it all up, and they were stunned. They're like, we will never dig ourselves out of this hole. So they, they got Dave Ramsey's material. They started going through it. It took them a while, six years, but they dug themselves not only out of this hole. Today, as of three years ago, this family is completely debt-free, not even a mortgage. I'm it's, and they, they're not like people who make a million dollars to begin with. They're normal people like us who just made some real strong commitments and got God involved in the process and said, God, I'm going to put you first in my life, and I want the freedom that you want for me and will you help us do it? And they did it. And so many doors opened up for them. And that will happen for you if you make the commitment. I want to be free the way God intended me to be free financially. And that could be your story. I'm t I have so many friends here at Connection who could say, yeah, I was a mess financially, but we got things figured out. In fact, if your story is, I am still a mess financially, and I'd love to talk to somebody real who's actually struggled with this, just let me know. I would be happy because there's people who tell me all the time, I'd love to use my past experiences to help somebody else. So I will put you together with real people who can you know, commiserate with you and, and help you, not just with finances. You, any area of your life that you think, I'm the only person who's ever struggled with this, there's somebody here in this church who has, 
and has, with, with God's help, figured it out, and they would love to walk alongside you. So you come to me and talk to me, and, and we'll help you make this plan. Now, here's the third decision. Make the decision that you're going to put God first in your finances. Get God, which is, I think, the most important thing you can do to get God involved. If you think about it, you need to give God a line item in your budget. You put him first in your finances and see what can happen. Let me say it this way. This is maybe the thing I want you to walk out of here in your mind with. The quickest way to get out of debt and to be financially free is to get God involved in your finances. Because if you think about it, what probably got you into a financial mess was you put yourself first, not God first. Let's flip that around. Start putting God first and see what happens. I'll talk more about that next week in very practical terms. I hope you'll come back and be part of that because I think this is the thing that could be the secret sauce that changes everything for you. And I know something in your mind is going to want to push away and just say, I already know that. But as somebody said this week, it was so brilliant. Saying, I know that, is not the same thing as saying, I am doing that. It can make all the difference for you. Let me ask you three questions. These are kind of things I want you to chew on now, maybe through the rest of the service, maybe as you're going home today, just to wrestle with these things. Ask yourself, do I believe that God can change my financial world for the better? Do I really believe that? Am I willing to do things differently so that I can achieve financial peace and freedom? Last question. Am I willing to ask God for his help to make those things happen? I want to pray with you right now. Would you, uh, would you stand up with me? And in fact, let's go ahead and invite God right now to be part of what we're talking about. And God, I know that you've heard everything we've talked about. We've, we know that you do love us, and that's what the Bible says. And sometimes we make choices that hurt, and we don't even recognize we're doing it at the time. And you see it, and you know that that's not going to be the best for us, and you try to warn us. But at the same time, I've never seen you say, well, I told you so. I've never experienced that in my life. I've never saw Jesus do that with anybody. And so, Father, today I, I come here speaking for all of us just to ask for your help. And we need it. And we just want to ask that you would bring into our lives that freedom and that peace and that grace that we need. I know that through Jesus you offer us forgiveness for everything that we've ever done wrong. And we ask for that too. I pray for everybody who's listening right now that, that you would give them a very strong sense of what it is you want them to do next, what you want me to do next. I'm listening too. And I pray beyond that that you would take the good intentions that we've got and you would actually help us to, to bring them into reality. And I know that you can do that. I know that you want to do that. So we're asking for your help. And I, and I do want to say thank you for all the good things that you've done for us and you're continuing to do for us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.